You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. This morning, I want to finish what I've called a two, a kind of a mini-series, a two-sermon series. Last week, we talked about next level. Uh, let's all go. Let, let's, let's go to the next level. This week, more practical, three thoughts but in-depth thoughts. Lots of notes, but the message will move along quickly. How do we get to the next level? Last week, we showed uh, a, a kind of a yearly view of what it might look like. Help me out, guys. Show that. Thank you. So the core value statement, God is number one in our lives. That's the January emphasis. So next Sunday, Jeremy will bring the first message about that statement, seeking the presence of God at the next level. It'll be a tremendous, exciting opportunity for us to be introduced to what does it look like for gospel light to go next level in making God number one, the presence of God in our lives, in our church, in our families. And we'll emphasize that for the last three weeks of this month and move on month after month to these different uh, 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 core value statements and next level statements and memory verses. In fact, I want to encourage everyone to memorize Matthew 6.33. It's an easy one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that verse will be the verse that we focus on as we continue to preach through the month of January and go to the next level. But today, I want to encourage all of us to look at how we can get there from the text. I want to walk you through that for a few moments this morning. And I pray that God would use what we began last week, where we discovered that Paul, the Apostle Paul, oftentimes in his writings would talk about the Christian life and compare it to a race. In fact, I noticed in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I don't have it for the screen for you this morning, but just in studying this morning, I noticed again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, where it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? And the next two words in that text are, every athlete. It's as if Paul is, is, is talking about sports and what in the known world at that time, what that world would have known about the athletic field and training and, and, and uh, running a race and all of those different terminologies that we use even today in our modern-day uh, phraseology about sports. And one of those phrases is, hey, you got to take it to the next level. And so we want to use that this morning as we finish this little mini-series and discover how can we as a church take it to the next level. Number one, are you ready for this? Don't miss this. I've got a word I want you to remember as we introduce the message. First of all, it takes a dissatisfaction and an acknowledgement of where you are right now. To go to the next level, Paul says it takes a dissatisfaction. It takes, and I want you to focus on the word, it takes an acknowledgement of where you are right now. Look with me at the text, if you would, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. Not that I have already attained, obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made it his own. Now, church family, when I read that, I'll be honest, I was relieved, very relieved. The pressure was off. You say, what kind of pressure are you talking about, preacher? Well, I'm just glad Paul, Paul wrote these words. I'm glad Paul said it like this. It's very relieving to me. 
It's like a breath of fresh air. Because here is a confession of a man who has walked with Christ for over 30 years who is saying, I haven't arrived. I haven't made it. I haven't attained. I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. It's as if Paul in this passage indulges in a moment of vulnerability where he says, you know what? I'm not there yet. And we can admire that. We can admire him as he says, I've not arrived. This is so opposite of what I was taught in seminary, growing up in in Bible college and becoming a preacher. The, The philosophy was the pastor has to be, you know, this perfect example. You even kind of want to change your voice in the pulpit and sound like a real man of God. Like you've got a steeple stuck in your throat. You know. And you know, you, you don't want to let people know your faults and your failures because you're the man of God. You're the pastor. And nobody would approach the pastor because everything he says has is, is got to be gospel. Even if it's not in the Bible, it should have been. And so because this was so opposite of the way that that I was raised, I am so relieved that Paul the Apostle, who by any standard would have been one of the greatest men in the history of the world, brilliant man, highly motivated, very spiritual, planted churches all over the known world, and if anybody had the right to say, I've arrived, you got to admit, done a lot. If anybody had that right, it was Paul. But he didn't say that. He wrote most of the New Testament. He single-handedly spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. He made an incredible impact on the world, and yet he said, I am, if I'm going to the next level, if I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, I've got to acknowledge that I haven't made it yet. I'm not satisfied with where I am now. And we see that clearly here in verse 12 and in verse 13. Paul admits this. Paul admits that I don't have it all together. But Paul says, in essence, can you love me anyway? I'm not perfect, but can you love me anyway? And can I teach you anyway? And can I add value to your life? Can I hold my wound while I stitch your scar? I've often said gospel light this is one sinner preaching to other sinners how we can all become like jesus and just sin a little bit less and and you know i it's so it's so relieving to be able to know that i can stand here this morning like paul and say church i'm not there yet i haven't arrived But my desire is to press toward the mark. My desire is to go to the next level. And I think the reason why we're so afraid to be vulnerable is that the past has caused us to camouflage things. We tend to cover up things. I talked about this to a friend yesterday. We have these masks that we wear. And it's no greater scene than on Sunday mornings. We've all kind of got the mask on. We're not careful. And that camouflage teaches us to cover up. Because the last time we tried to be vulnerable, the last time we tried to be real, we got hurt. The last time I tried to be myself, I got fired. The last time I tried to open up about to somebody, they betrayed me. Or the last time that, that I confided in someone, they went out and told my business. And so now I'm just going to shut down and, man, I've been there, done that. I'm just not going to open up. Those lighthouses aren't for me. Do you have to say anything? Do you have to talk? Do you have to share anything and so we tend to shy away from any 
opportunity to be vulnerable. But the next level requires it. To go to the next level, it requires us to be honest with where we are now. It takes a dissatisfaction and an acknowledgement of where you are now. In fact, we will never, and I mean that, we can never go to the next level in our Christian lives. We cannot go to the next level in our marriages. We, we can't go to the next level in our personal evangelism and our understanding of God's Word if we think we've already arrived. So we admit. So we acknowledge together. Tonight, today. I got a long way to go. I've got a long, well, pastor, what do you mean? You're, you're 57. Paul was 30 years in ministry, wrote most of the New Testament. If Paul said it, I need to say it times 10. And you do too. This is the first step to going to the next level. We do an inventory of our lives. Great time to do it, January. It's the best time to do it. Do an inventory of your marriage. Where's it at? What, what, what kind of conversations and communication do you have with your right now, wife right now? Where, where, do you need, are there some things you need to forgive your spouse for? Go to the next level by inv- making an inventory of your finances. Look at your giving statement that you received. What Did you give 10% or what percent did you give or did you give at all? Do an inventory of that. There's no way to go to the next level without doing an inventory of where you are now in your career, in your, Christian, in your health. Because next level people are always developing and growing and expanding and learning. And I'm convinced there's two enemies of this kind of thinking. Number one is comfort. We get comfortable. Comfort is the biggest enemy of progress. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I like comfort sometimes. I, I think stability and, and, and security, it, it can be quite important in certain areas of life. For instance, uh, some of you may have and should have, and it's a good thing to have a financial manager, someone who is helping you to navigate your way through and to retirement. Maybe a life insurance policy that you have uh, just because you want to be prepared and take care of your family if something should happen. And I I do those things and have those things. And I know those things make us quite uh, comfortable and and they're quite important to have in place. I understand that sometimes this can be necessary. However, when it comes to taking it to the next level, comfort can be an enemy. Because if you become too comfortable, the unquenchable desire to keep exploring and learning something new will slowly fade. And this is so necessary. Instead of experimenting and taking risks and stop pursuing growth in order to remain at your level of comfort, you can't take a risk. You can't step out and and try something new because I'm comfortable. I'm good, Pastor. I appreciate the, the what a theme. It's really cool, but I, I'm good. I, I really feel, I'm about on that third stair and plan on staying there for a while. I'm not into that fourth or that fifth or that upward call. No, no, this morning, and I'm not saying anyone's thinking that. I'm saying if you are there, would you consider getting out of your comfort zone? The second enemy, I think, is complacency. It's an enemy to next level thinking. Complacency keeps many from going to the next level, especially after having reached a certain level of success. I was reading this morning as I was just reviewing the message. Again, not a verse that I had time to put on the screen. But I I thought about Hebrews 6 and verse 11 where it says, And we desire that each of you, this is really good, that each of you, he says, would show earnestness. That you would have the full assurance of hope until the end. Persevere. 
And then he says this in verse 12. Do not be sluggish. A synonym for the word sluggish would be complacency. Don't be that. But, But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God has some things for us. Don't be sluggish. Don't be comfortable. Don't be complacent. If you're not continually moving forward, you are moving backward. So never forget to remind yourself that there's always room for improvement. And it is our imperfection that ought to drive us onward and upward to the prize. In fact, when we announced this theme and and, and theme verse, I remember uh, Doug Gully, one of our elders, said to me, he said, Pastor, it's already my theme. In fact, if you get an email from Doug this year, it's going to say on it, at the end, onward and upward, Doug Gully. I've already got a couple. And I thought, well, that's confirmation. Even before I introduced this and, and asked the elders if they thought it would be a direction we, we could go, and before we began to plan and talk about these things, already, Doug, and by the way, uh, Doug wouldn't mind me sharing this way. We've been together for years and years and years. Doug, Doug's not the youngest elder on the elder board. But, but, but Doug, even as he ages, says, onward, upward. I haven't arrived. I've still got, I've still, I'm not attained. There's still more to do. And boy, if anybody's an example of that, Doug is. You know, most likely every invention ever invented was because someone was not satisfied with where the invention was. By the way, I don't use an iPhone 2, do you? <laughs> I don't use a 14 either. I <laughs> can't afford it yet, but I, I'm just joking. I wish I had one. But, 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 but isn't it interesting how every invention is, the, the inspiration behind that, that invention is to make something better, to, to go to the next level. So it takes a dissatisfaction and an acknowledgement of where you are to go to the next level. And Paul says, I haven't already obtained. I'm not perfect. I'm pressing on. Secondly, it takes a new direction. And this direction is based on an assessment of where you have been. So an acknowledgement of, of where you are and an assessment of where you've been. I had a great conversation with Greg Reif and his wife Robin yesterday about this. These are two missionaries that next year, or this, later this year in October, they, they represent Restore International Ministries. They're very connected to the Dominican Republic, and Scott has got connected with them. And as a result of that, they're here to kind of give us a taste of what it might look like to partner with them. And they're coming in October. It was an incredible meeting yesterday and, and also Friday with our champion staff and classes we're going to be teaching across the world. Next level stuff. It's awesome. And I say all that to say that as we began to talk through our conversation yesterday, one of the topics was assessing where you are, where you are now, where you've been. Notice in verse 13 how focused Paul becomes. Look at it. Brothers, he says, rather, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do. Notice the laser focus. I don't consider to have made it but this one thing I do. You know what's interesting about this? Is in Scripture, there is an incredible emphasis on one thing. You see this often in the Word of God. The rich young ruler needed to understand it was one thing that he lacked. And so in Mark chapter 10 and in verse number 21, it says, Jesus looked at him, this rich young ruler, because he loved him, and he said, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor so you can have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. 
Martha needed to find the one thing that Mary had already found. And in Luke 10, the Lord answers Martha, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, Martha, one thing. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away. Martha, you need this one thing. And then David, David knew the direction. He needed to be focused on one thing. And so David, in that marvelous, beautiful, incredible book of Psalms, chapter 27 and verse 4 said, one thing have I asked of the Lord. And this is it. This one thing is I want to seek after him. I want to dwell in his house every day of my life. And I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I want to inquire in his temple. But sadly, as you know, maybe, and if you don't, I'll, I'll share it with you right now. David got his eyes off that one thing. David got his eyes off the temple. David got his eyes off the beauty of the Lord. David got his eyes off, the, off, the, off that one thing, the, the beauty of Christ. And he got his eyes on the wrong house, looking at the wrong beauty and inquiring about the wrong thing. And we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, it happened one late afternoon, David arose from his couch, and he began to walk on, on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba? Dave, hey, hey, Dave, I, I believe she's married. She, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, when you compare that to 2 Samuel chapter number 2 and verse 3, you compare that to Psalm chapter number 27 and verse 4, look at them both on the same screen. One thing I've asked for, that will I seek after, the house of the Lord. And then we find in 2 Samuel, it wasn't the house of the Lord, it was the king's house. He said, I want to just spend all my life gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. But later he was gazing upon the beauty of a woman that he wasn't married to. And then we see that David said, I just want to inquire in the temple. I want to go to church, and I want to hear the word of God. And later, David said, no, I want to send an inquire now about a woman and just see if she'll come and maybe check things out. It's amazing when you get your eyes off of one thing, pressing toward the mark, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, how quickly Satan can get a stronghold and begin to tear down everything God is doing in your life. And this breaks my heart because I, I know this is what devil wants to, the devil wants to do to my life, my family, my marriage. And I see it happen so often in ministry and even in my own profession. The point is this. The point is this. To go to the next level, you must have a one thing mind. You, you must not be double-minded. Winners become winners because they concentrate on one thing. You know, it's, it's, it's been said that athletes are usually not good at two sports. It's tough to be a two-sport athlete. M Michael Jordan arguably is the greatest of all time. Many of you would argue that, and you're not going to change, and I'm not here to change you, and it's a good argument. But Michael tried another sport. And halfway through, he said, you know what? I think I'll try baseball, and after two years, didn't work out so well. Went back to basketball, won three more championships. LeBron James is 423 points away from uh, surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time scoring champion in the NBA. And it's okay to give athletic illustrations. Paul did, so I'm going to do it for last week and this week at least. I'll start giving spiritual ones next week. LeBron is probably going to do it here in the next few games. 
I mean, this is a record that nobody thought would ever touch. In 85, Kareem scored over 38,000 points, and LeBron is just a few points away, a few games away from surpassing it because for 20 years, he's been focused on one thing. And whether he's the greatest of all time or not, there's an argument there. Why? Because an athlete decided to focus on one thing. He, there were NFL teams that thought he'd be the greatest wide receiver, but he said, you know what? I can't be a wide receiver in the NFL and a, and a, and a, and a forward in the NBA. That, that's, that's not going to work. And believer, Christian, follower of Christ, we must fix our eyes on one thing and nothing else. So Paul is going to tell us that we have, have to, in order to have a new direction, it's got to be based on a proper assessment of where we have been. And I want you to notice here what Paul's direction was focused on. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 13. One thing I do, here it is, the one thing I do is I forget the things which are behind and I reach forward or I strain for the things which are ahead. This is what Paul's focus was on. This was the direction he was going. To go to the next level in your worship, to go to the next level in your witnessing, to go to the next level in your walk with God, to go to the next level in your understanding of the Word of God, you have to let go of the past to effectively move forward into the future as to what God has for you. You need to let go of the past. Listen, that that includes successes. The fact that I read my Bible through last year, I don't want to sit on my laurels of success last year. I want to set some new goals for this year. A runner that runs a race, if he's looking behind, have you ever tried to run and look in another direction other than straight forward? It's the most awkward thing. First of all, it's, it, you get dizzy. Second of all, you're not very fast. Third of all, if you're running in a race to win, you're not going to win looking back. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. So Paul says to go to the next level. You have to forget some things. Assess where you've been. You need to forget those things that are going to hold you back and keep your eyes on the prize. Now, in the Bible, it's interesting. Forget is, is a word that oftentimes we analyze, and, and we have to because it's something that can be misinterpreted. It doesn't mean when it says to forget in the Bible to lose your memory. In the Bible, when it says to forget, it's not speaking about a failure to recall. What it actually means is this. I, I'm not going to allow it to influence me. Don't let your past influence you in the present. Here's what I mean by that. In 2022, no doubt, Erica Pacey made some mistakes. You did too, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe there was even some failures, sins, things you've done, you know, regrets you have. I get it. I do too. Uh, there's some things as I look back to this past year that I, I, I'm not so proud of and I wish would have been different. It speaks here of forgetting those things which are behind. So you've made mistakes. Okay, I get it. I did too. Confess it. Repent of it. And move forward. Learn from it, but move forward. Stop being manipulated by your memories. So oftentimes I see and talk to people who are really discouraged and even depressed because they're being manipulated in their mind by the things that have happened to them in their past. The past is the past. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the grief. Let go of the grudge. It's so easy to live in the past, and it's easy to dream away the future, but it's difficult to live in the now. Right now. 
I mean, my responsibility this Sunday is not to preach next Sunday's message or re-preach last Sunday's message. It's to give my best today. It's to give it all I've got today. It's to preach with all of the might that God gives me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me today. If I die, my brother's going to preach my funeral. He already knows that. I've told him. We've, been, we've talked about it. I'll preach this. He'll preach mine. Hopefully, it'll be a while. My dad told us my brother and I are going to share the sermon for his his funeral, if, if we outlive him, we, we may not. He's 82 and going strong. But I've often, I told my brother this. I said, Brett, when you preach my funeral, I want you to talk to the last crowd that I preached to. If I, so if I die tomorrow, Brett's going to call the office and say, my brother wanted me to ask the last crowd that heard him, did he give his best? Did he preach like he really was passionate? Was he prepared? Did he mean what he was saying? Did it look as if today could have been the last day that he had an opportunity? Man, I hope you can say yes. That's my prayer. That, that's how I approach every day, every moment. You know, my opportunity to be a husband, a dad, a grandfather. Oh, listen, I want to give it all I've got knowing that I've got a mark, a prize awaiting me. And I encourage all of us this morning to understand the difficult part is living in the now. It was getting up this morning to come to church. The past you cannot change. Look back, but don't go back. And the present requires me to give everything I have to God. And the future is hidden in the decisions I make on a daily basis. That's why I've got to really make sure that I'm I'm, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus and making the right decisions because that will be my future. Next level success involves learning to forget. Isaiah 43 says it like this. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Next level, people learn from the past without dwelling on the past. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between those two. Now, there's three things we need to forget. Can I I mention those to you quickly? Number one, we need to forget our failures. So many Christians are continuing to rehearse things in their heart that God has long since forgiven and forgotten. So, So just look. I've got failures too. I've made mistakes as a pastor. I've learned from those things. I mentioned that last week. You know, man, you you do learn a lot from your past. But I want you to know I'm pressing on the upward way. I I believe that there's, I've got to keep my eyes and, 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 and forget what's behind and strain forward to what's ahead. Forget your failures. Number two, forget what might have been. Forget what might have been. Don't be defeated by what might have been. Well, what if I would have gotten that job? What if I would have married that person? Those might have beens, they'll destroy you. And then what about forgetting our successes? Yesterday's victories don't carry us today. You're only as close to God as you are right now. Right now. Far too often I hear, I hear Christians talk about how they're sitting on their laurels of the past, their successes of the past. And Paul says, no, I'm not concerned about that. I want to know about... How close are you today to pressing toward the mark? So number one, it takes a dissatisfaction and an acknowledgement of where you are now. Number two, it takes a a new direction based on an assessment of where you've been. And number three, and in closing, and most importantly, don't miss this, it takes a determination. Once you've acknowledged where you are, once you have assessed where you've been, now you need to determine to ascend 
to where you need to go. Now, this is the second Sunday of the year. God wants to take you somewhere. God's got a vision for you. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. There's some things God wants to do with you, with us as a church family. And Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, this is the second time in the same text that Paul says these words, press on. Remember in verse 12 he said, not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I press on. And then again in verse 14 Paul says, but I press on to the goal for the prize. I press on. That word press means I exert myself. That word press means I'm working up a sweat. Yesterday I was watching the Lakers game uh, before I went to bed. I didn't watch the whole thing because it got done at like midnight. And we had like 20 people over the house last night. And it was a craziness. And uh, I think Mo invited the basketball team. And Zoe was there. And they, they were cheering. And I guess it was a close game. My wife and I, we were laying there about midnight thinking, oh, no. What is happening, you know? And, and this is with a hole in the roof and no carpet on the floor. The house is still a mess. And 20, Carolyn says, are you sure you want people to come over? I said, hey, you know, it's where we are, you know. It's funny. So all this is going on. Well, before I left the living room, I noticed, I did this on purpose because I knew I was preaching this morning. I just did it for the fun of it. I just, I'm going to watch a few minutes of this. Five minutes in, everybody on the court was perspiring. I mean, needing water, walking to the sidewalks, give me a towel. Already into the game, you could tense, you could see there was, there was a pressing. There was a exerting yourself. I'm giving my all. I'm giving my best. And as a result of that, there, there is, a, there is a, a, an intense effort, a determination that goes along with it. The word press indicates a need for strength. The word press indicates a need for stamina. Now, where does that strength come from? For the Christian, it comes from Christ. That's why it says, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This morning, yes, I, I'm working up a sweat because I'm pressing in. I'm pressing into what God has for us. I'm pressing into what God has called me to preach this morning. And I believe that God calls all of us here today because absolutely nothing worthwhile in life happens without effort. Nothing. The only way to coast in life is when you're coasting downhill. And so if you're coasting downhill, I can assure you, you're coasting in life. The most successful people in life are just ordinary people with an extraordinary determination to press on. I don't know how to quit. Just keep on keeping on. You know, when I was growing up uh, as a teenager, I loved boxing. I did. I, I, I don't even know if I'm proud to say that because it's, it's a pretty cool sport, right? But I grew up in the 70s and 80s, the years of marvelous Marvin Hagler and Larry Holmes and Muhammad Ali and Ernie Shaver and, and Ken Norton and uh, some of these, you know, names that, does anybody recognize any of those names I just said? You'll date yourself. Okay, good. About a third of the crowd. And uh, I was a big, actually I was a big Larry Holmes guy. Interesting. He was called the Easton Assassin. Uh, he was from Philadelphia, the, you know, birthplace of boxing, right, in, in the U.S. And Larry Holmes had won 49 straight fights. He held the heavyweight championship of the world for like 16 years without losing, but he wasn't a knockout artist. Now, a lot of people didn't like him for that, but I liked him for that. If you watch Mike Tyson fight, you pay $1,000, and it's 30 seconds long. <laughs> but at least Larry Holmes, you got all 15 rounds, right? Larry was amazing. He had a jab that could just literally destroy your face as it is now. And uh, it didn't knock people out, but it just won a lot of fights. I used to watch all his fights. In 1982, I saw that he was fighting a guy named Randall Tex Cobb. I thought, who is this guy? 
So I started looking into it. I'm 17 years old. I'm looking forward to the fight in a few months. And, and, I, and I researched. He's from Corpus Christi, Texas. And, and Randall Tex Cobb is, uh, was a kickboxing champion of the world. I'm like, what's a kickboxer doing in boxing? But, but he got tired of kickboxing. And he wanted to, wasn't enough money in it. So he said, I want to be a boxer. I want to make more money. So he tries to train to become a boxer. His first few fights he loses because he just wants to kick them. <laughs> and he can't seem to... I mean, he's six foot six, 280 pounds. If he can ever figure out how to do this, he's going to be good. So finally, one fight, he figures it out. He rears back, throws a punch, cocks a guy, puts him to sleep. And then he gets a call from Larry Holmes. You want to fight for the championship of the world? And so I'm watching this fight at 17 in 1982. I'm watching Larry Holmes fight this, and this guy was... Just a white boy with a big watermelon head. He was as ugly as sin. If you want to hear the most hilarious interview in the world, it's clean. It's Johnny Carson interviewing Randall Tex Cobb after the fight. You'll crack up. You'll love it. It's, it watch it this afternoon. Take a nap. It's great. So Randall Tex Cobb steps into the ring, and for 15 rounds, Larry Holmes destroys him. It's unbelievable. He doesn't go down. He doesn't even like... His legs don't buckle. He just keeps coming in, but he keeps getting hitting. But twice in the fight, I saw Cobb hit Larry, and I thought, man, that looked like it hurt. And, and Larry kind of buckled, but he got right back up, and I thought, well, maybe he's not hurt. So how would Cosell interviews Larry Holmes after the fight? Anybody remember Howard Cosell? And so Howard Cosell says, Larry, you look like you did pretty good there, buddy. Was there any challenge? He said, I'll never fight that guy again. I'm watching this. I'm like, look like you killed him. I'll never fight him again. Uh, Larry, I don't understand. You beat him for 15 rounds. We had you winning every round. He said, yeah, it looked like that, but he hit me twice. So I was right. He said, when he hit me, I felt it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. That dude is a beast. I don't want to fight him again. I'd have gone down if he, if I would have, if he would have hit me a third time. He goes over to Randall's hex guy, and here's, the, here's, here's my punchline, if you will. You ever heard a punchline for a preacher? Cosell says, Mr. Cobb, could I have a word with you? Sure, yeah, no problem. Face all bloated, you know, uglier than he was when he started. He said, Mr. Cobb, what did you think about the fight? Here was his answer. What fight? Cosell was like, he's lost his memory. He said, the fight, the 15-round fight with, with, with Larry Holmes. He said, oh, that wasn't a fight. He said, what do you mean it wasn't a fight? He said, well, where I come from, in a fight, at the end of it, there's only one man standing. And I was still standing. Another 15 rounds, I'd have had him. And I remember as a 17-year-old kid watching that interview and thinking, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy. I'm going to tell you something. Life has some punches it'll give you, right? I mean, there's some blows. There's some special needs kids and some sicknesses and some near-death experiences and some car accidents and some financial failures. I mean, life has a way at times of really crushing and coming down on us. But I want you to know I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And I just don't have that quit in me. And I believe that God will honor those of us today who will persevere and endure and continue to move forward, understanding that it takes determination to ascend. It takes determination to ascend to where you want to go. But sometimes we need to press inwardly before we can ascend. And I want to share this with you 
as, you, as we close the message in a few moments, I want you to think about this because oftentimes this is where I think we, we think it's only what we have together on the outside that makes the difference, but oftentimes we need to deal with what's on the inside to go to the next level. Before you can go up, you've got to assess what kind of level are you on. The level we pass through on the inside oftentimes is far more important than the levels we pass through on the outside. God is saying to someone here today that I can't take you to another level until you give up that attitude problem that you have. I mean, I'm concerned about believers' attitudes, about life, about church, about family, about their spouse, about about church, sermons, songs. We have this attitude. And let me tell you something. I've learned this a long time ago. It's not in the Bible, but I think it's true. That attitude determines your altitude. And the Bible speaks a lot about having an attitude of joy and gladness and appreciation. And I want you to know, listen, if you and I are going to ascend, we're going to have to deal with some things on the inside and get rid of some things that are holding us back. God can't take a bad attitude, Christian, to the next level. God may be saying to someone here today that I can't take you to another level in your marriage as long as you harbor unforgiveness towards your mate. I mean, I, I know this because I've, as, after 30 years in so much counseling and pouring into couples, this can go on for decades where people are willing to actually sleep in different beds and on the couch and go through decades of a marriage that never gets past the problem because of unforgiveness. God can't take a marriage that is harboring unforgiveness to the next level. In fact, I've often said that the only reason my wife and I are still together is because we've learned how to forgive. It's the only way to stay together. You've got to forgive one another multiple times. A pastor can't pastor a church for 30 years without having people who will forgive him from time to time and vice versa. I can't, God says, I can't take you to another level as long as you continue to compromise with your friends. Young people, if you're here today, or college students or even, honestly, adults, Bad friends, bad future. Good friends, good future. You say, is that in the Bible? No, yeah, it is. There's there's 20 or 30 verses that support that little cliche. It's the truth. You will become who you hang around. That's why it's so important. God says, I can't take you to the next level until you deal with your temper. You got to deal with that thing. That's why you're not getting that promotion. That's why you're not being considered for that, because you've got to deal with the temper. And then what is Paul pressing for? Look at it with me, church. He's pressing for the prize, something higher, something greater, something to ascend to. You know, I, I, I like the, the old hymn. I, I, I'm, I'm 99% probably of what I listen to, at least 95, is, is I love the new songs. And Living Hope, I said this morning after they sung it, I think that's going to be around 50 years from now, don't you? What a song. It's new, but it's going to be around a while. But there's a few songs in that old hymn book I just can't shake. And one of those is, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Now, I know that there's a lot of the church that's never heard that, and you're probably thinking, bless his heart. Well, that's, I'm glad it meant a lot to him. And you've got a new contemporary song that says the same thing, and I love that one too. But all I'm saying is this, God is calling us upward, onward, to ascend. Where is the next level? What does the next level represent? I believe the next level represents for you and for me a higher responsibility from God. 
Let that sink in, if it's true. It's just my thoughts this morning. Could the next level be God is calling you to a higher responsibility? So let's talk for just a moment about the prize of going to the next level. What kind of prize do we get? Well, there's a twofold prize right here in the text of going to the next level. Number one, it's found in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse number 12, where it says this. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for also which I have been apprehended. I love the the King James translation there. I think it, it speaks into the text as much as anything else. And it basically is saying this. It's saying Paul is calling us to an upward call, a heavenward call. The NLT says this, a heavenly prize. I love that. I'm pursuing the reason for which Christ pursued me. I want to fully realize the reason I'm on this earth. I want to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. It's been said that the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discovered what you were born for. And and I, I know for the Christian, the greatest day of our life was the day we were born again. I know that. This was the greatest day of Shane's life. Shane, where are you? There you go, Shane. Greatest day of your life was the day you were saved and now you're following Christ. But let me tell you something. There is something great about finding out the purpose for which God has created you. And when I found that out, when God began to show me that I was created, uh, uh, God had a purpose for me to preach and to pastor and to be married to my beautiful wife, Caroline, and, and have five kids. And God called me to be the dad of a special needs kid. That's a calling. And God called me to be the dad of six and grandkids and one on the way. And wow, man, those revelations are powerful. That is a prize. And I want to pursue that prize with everything I've got, the purpose for which God has put me on this earth. And then the prize of knowing eternal joy. Philippians three fourteen again, he speaks here about the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, a heavenly call. One day, you're going to cross the ultimate finish line. The ultimate finish line. You're going to be the, met by your master, Jesus. He's going to receive you into his eternal home. Isn't that two great promises? The prize of God's plan for your life and the prize of eternal joy in heaven And notice all of this, all of this is in Christ Jesus. Next level living is all about keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's all about that. Let's not get tired of that. Because the Bible warns us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, let us not be or grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. Keep on keeping on. Keep on pressing towards the mark of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that we do get weary, don't we? Can I ask one more question? Does anybody in here ever get tired? A few of you? Just tired of, sometimes of just the grind of the Christian life? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes, but I came home the other day. I think Carolyn, she, she mentioned it yesterday again. She said, you know, you know, she named the day. You came home the other day, and you said you just, you know, it was a tough day, and you think it was just a little bit too much, and I was, that was a grind day. It was just one of those days where I was like, oh, man, and I lost my zip, and I lost my zest when I got home, and I, I didn't save my best for last. I kind of had a bad day. Anybody ever had one of those? Yeah. Sometimes I lose my zip. Sometimes I lose my zest. Sometimes I get to the point where I wonder, does anybody recognize anything I'm doing and I'm serving God and I'm trying to do the right things? But it's been a while since anybody ever told, really told me that, you know, hey, thank you. 
And I have to remind myself, that's my problem. I've got my eyes on man's applause and not God's applause. And when you and I put our faith in what man thinks and not what God thinks, we begin to self-absorb and and we begin to become selfish and we lose our zest and zeal to serve God. And we quit. We must keep our reason for pressing on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because if the devil can get you to change or alter your focus— then your resolve to finish will not be there and you will be tempted to quit. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Wow. Keep your eyes on the prize. Jesus and nothing else. Jesus, and nothing else. Jesus, and nothing else. The prize is not my wife, my kids, my grandkids. The prize is Jesus. He is the reason. You take Jesus Christ away from gospel light, and we no longer have a church. We just have a club. There's a lot of clubs out there, but I want to be the church. Jesus is the reason, not us. And the worth of God's work needs to be refreshed so we can see its worth again. Hebrews 12, verse number 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. Doug? To press onward and upward, to press onward and upward, it takes a determination to descend, ascend, and endurance and dedication, no matter what others may say. And so in closing, I thought I'd take what they say at the start of a race. Have you ever taught your kids to race? And you go, on your march, get set, go. It's one of the first things we taught Glory Ann. Whenever Glory Ann and I are at a red light, I say, Glow, you ready? My 16-year-old little special needs kid goes, I go, on your marks, get set. I try to time it where it turns green, and she says, go. So this morning, I want you to look on the screen. On your mark, get set. Let's ascend to the next level. Let's go. Let's keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus and nothing else. You know, in the first of every year, we've got 50 more weeks to go with this year. But I think at the first of the year, it's appropriate for us to take a couple of weeks, as we have done, and to really dive into our theme and to determine we understand it now. We're going to take hold of this thing, and we're going to start living according to what Scripture says fulfills the upward call of God in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. So this morning, if you're here and you need to come and pray, The altars will be open. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never had a relationship with him where you have eternity is secure and you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You've never truly trusted Christ and what he did on the cross. This morning, this morning, I would encourage you to talk to me or one of the pastors or even come forward if you feel that that's what you are being led to do. And I would love or we would love to take a moment and just pray with you. So whatever it is, This morning, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I encourage you to determine 
as this says, to ascend to the next level and keep our eyes on the prize and nothing else. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for today and for what you're doing here and on the Lake Hamilton campus. I'm grateful today, God, that you are enlarging our coast, that, God, you're calling each of us to the next level individually as dads, as husbands, as wives, as moms, as papas and nanas, as friends, as givers. God, I pray as church members that, God, we would be looking to press towards that mark. God, that we'd be listening for that higher call, that, God, we'd be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit speaking in us what you're telling us to do. Father, may we listen. Thank you so much for Shane and for that glorious baptism this morning. We pray that you'd guide him to the next steps. Thank you for the three basketball players that Champion saved this week on the trip. I pray, God, that they would follow you on Believer's Baptism next month. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for Bree Connor, who right now is in labor and expecting a little Connor child. Bless Kevin and Paula as they race to St. to, to, to uh, Indiana. God, there's so much going on. As I pray, there's so much going on at this time. Father, you are taking us, I believe, God, to some new frontiers. May we be sensitive to your spirit as you call us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? Altars are open.